Okay, so today we'll uh, do chapter 14 of Deuteronomy as the Lord leads. And uh, we started in chapter 12, where Moses was uh, expounding on the various laws and how it applies in different situations. And in chapter 12, we saw how Moses uh, exhorted us uh, in terms of preparing for worship. And he gave two instructions. Uh, we need to destroy the idols uh, in this case. And secondly, they needed to go to a chosen place uh, which we saw was Shiloh uh, last week. And we see that from Shiloh, the people of Israel, they go to the temple. And when we come to the New Testament, we see that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then when we get to the book of Revelation, we read in Revelation 21, 22, uh, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So we see that place uh, itself is not very significant. Uh, it is the person that is significant, and it is the person uh, that we have come to worship. So in the Old Testament, uh, it was the Ark of the Covenant uh, that spoke of the presence of God, and that is what made the tabernacle uh, significant. Uh, that is what made the temple significant. And when we come to the New Testament, we see that our body itself is the temple of the Holy Spirit that again speaks uh, about the presence of God in our life. And when we go to heaven, we see that there is no temple because God himself uh, is present. So we see that we should not get uh, stuck up on the building and so on, because what gives uh, significance to the building uh, is the presence of God more than anything else. And in chapter 13, uh, we saw some of the dangers or distractions to worship. Uh, we saw how we can be distracted by miracle workers or false prophets. Uh, who are able to show uh, impressive signs, but what they are teaching uh, is not really uh, is not consistent uh, with the word of God. And in the same way, uh, our family and friends uh, they can also turn us away uh, from the true God uh, to worship idols. In the same way, there might be people in the city, or there might be regulations uh, in the country uh, that take us uh, away from God. And we were told in chapter thirteen. Uh, just like we saw in chapter 12, uh, we need to destroy the idols or anything that comes in the way of true worship. And in the same way, we were told to destroy the miracle workers and even our family and friends uh, if they are coming in the way of true worship. And chapter 14 is, uh, is interesting. Uh, it speaks about body a bit, and then it talks about diet and tithes. And we can see that uh, also in the context of worship, uh, it, we can relate it to worship uh, as we will see as we go through the chapter. So in verses one, to, one and two, uh, we see who we are. That is how Moses begins uh, this chapter. And in verse one, we also see how we must not mourn for the dead. And verses three to 21, which is the longest uh, section, uh, it speaks about what we can eat and what uh, we cannot eat based on the Old Testament uh, principles. And 26 speaks about where we must eat or the place where we must bring all of our tithes and rejoice in the Lord. And 27 to 29 speaks about why and how uh, we need to take care of the Levites and others who are needy uh, in the in our circle. And we can see what is the connection between diet and worship. 
Okay, so verses one and two uh, reminds us uh, who we are, which we have also seen in the earlier chapters of Deuteronomy. And Moses reminds us in verse one and two that we are the uh, children of God. Uh, we are a holy people. Uh, we are a peculiar people. Uh, we are a chosen people. And we are above all nations. And of course, the Jewish nation itself was a nation that did not exist. And here Moses is reminding them that even as they enter the promised land and as they continue uh, their life, uh, they would be considered as a nation that is above all nations. So the emphasis is that the people of Israel, they are a chosen people, uh, they are different. And since they are different and unique, uh, they must also think and act uh, differently. So all of the laws uh, that are being given are being given so that the people of Israel, uh, they would have a different uh, thought process. Uh, they would have a different uh, reaction uh, to different situations. And it is that uh, testimony that will make them different from all the other nations. And it is that those decisions that will make them unique uh, in this world, uh, assuming they are able to keep all the laws and all the discipline that has been laid out in the book of Deuteronomy and other places. And verse one uh, also tells us uh, how we must not mourn uh, for the dead. And in verse one, it says, you shall not cut uh, yourself, nor make any baldness uh, between your eyes uh, for the dead. So it speaks about not uh, cutting or harming our body or mutilating our body. And it speaks about not uh, shaving our head. So many of the instructions uh, that we see uh, in chapter 14, uh, they could be for health, or it could be for spiritual reasons, or it could be simply to make the nation of Israel uh, unique uh, so that they're not simply copying the existing culture, uh, existing traditions, and existing uh, religious uh, practices. Uh, when they enter the land of Canaan. And it is the same instruction that is given to us uh, that we need to uh, live a life that is unique, uh, that is separated from the world. And even if everyone is following uh, a certain tradition, uh, if it is not consistent uh, with the word of God, then we need to stay away from it. And in Leviticus uh, chapter 19, uh, 27 and 28, it says, uh, it repeats the same thing. It says, you shall not round the corners of your heads, neither shalt thou mar the corners of thy beard. You shall not make any cuttings uh, in your flesh uh, for the dead, nor print uh, any marks uh, upon you. And in NIV, it says, uh, for the marks, it says uh, tattoos. And we know that uh, in this generation, we see a lot of tattoos among the youth. So this might be one verse that we can use uh, if we are giving them counsel uh, in terms of why it is not good. It is not right to mutilate our bodies, to put tattoos in the body, which could be a permanent mark uh, on the skin. And in the same way, we don't need to mourn by cutting our hair, which was the practice uh, before. And when we come to the New Testament, uh, we have many verses that remind us that we need to be different. In Romans uh, 12, 2, it says, uh, do not be conformed uh, to this world. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 15, we are told we should live for him, 
uh, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And in Second, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it reminds us we need to glorify him in all that we do, whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, uh, it should bring glory to God. So we see that the basic uh, principles or the basic teachings that we see in the Old Testament are also carried forward uh, in the New Testament. And oftentimes the standard is actually higher uh, in the New Testament. So when we see here, we are told we should be different. Uh, we should live for God and we should glorify him. So in verse one, it tells us how we should not mourn, that we, should, we don't need to cut our hair or we don't need to mutilate our bodies. And when we come to the New Testament, uh, it's a, it tells us that uh, we may be sorrowful, but we would still have hope uh, as born again uh, Christians. So when we lose our loved ones, uh, it is natural that we would be sad and we would be sorrowful, but still uh, our sorrowing is different as Paul reminds us uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4.30, but I would not have you to be ignorant, uh, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, uh, even as others uh, which have no hope. So when people die or when they're called to glory, uh, we might be sorrowful, but uh, even in that sorrow, in that deep uh, sorrow, uh, we still have hope that if the person uh, who is dying if they received the Lord as their personal savior, uh, there would a day would come when there would be a glorious uh, reunion. So that is the living hope that we have as Christians, even after death. So verses three to 21 is a fairly long section. Uh, let's read a few of them. So it speaks about what uh, we can eat and what we must not eat based on the Jewish principles. Yeah, so we see that the instructions are very clear uh, in terms of the way it is given to the Israelites. Uh, maybe it's not a complete list of what they can eat and they cannot eat, but the basic principle is given to them uh, very clearly. So in verse 3, it says, uh, you shall not eat uh, any abominable thing. But we know from Genesis uh, chapter 1 that God created uh, everything. And when he created everything, he also said uh, everything is good. So here, when Moses is giving them uh, instructions that he is receiving from God uh, in terms of what is not what they can eat and what they cannot eat, uh, it does not mean that whatever is not permitted to be eaten, uh, it is unclean or it is sinful or it is unfit for the world, or whether God made a mistake when he created that in Genesis chapter 1. So that is not uh, our understanding. It is simply that God is uh, giving them instructions and saying these things are abominable, these things are unacceptable for, uh, for health reasons, or it could be for spiritual reasons, or it could be simply that they would be different uh, from the culture around them. So it is God who is drawing the line uh, for what is acceptable and what is not uh, in terms of animals, in terms of fish, and also in terms of birds that we read about from verse 11 through verse uh, 20. But in Genesis chapter 1, we read about the creation and we read about 
how everything is created. And at the end, God says, uh, it was good after every day he said that. So there are two rules uh, that are given to us for uh, animals. Uh, it says we can eat it if the animal has split or divided hooves. Uh, so that is the heart covering uh, that we see on the toe. But there is an additional uh, instruction that is given to us that not only it should have a hoof, but it should also be split. So that would be like goats or sheep or deer, which, uh, which can be consumed. So there are two uh, qualities that must be met uh, for the animal to be clean or animal can be eaten. And secondly, uh, the animal should also chew the cud. So when you look at a cow, we know that uh, they chew the cud in the sense uh, the food that is partially digested, uh, it goes to the stomach, then it comes back to the mouth, and the cow continues to chew that food, the partially digested food. So that is what uh, chewing the cud is. So for Jewish people, uh, in order to identify which animals they can eat, eat, the animal should have a divided hoof and it should chew the cud. So, so some animals are disqualified, as we read in verses 7 and 8. Uh, camels and rabbits, uh, they chew the cud, but they do not have cloven hooves or divided hooves. So uh, we cannot, uh, Jewish people cannot eat them. And in the same way, pigs, they have cloven hooves, but they do not chew the cud, which makes them unclean. So both the qualities uh, have to be met for the animal to be fit uh, for consumption or the animal to be clean. And in the same way for fishes, we are told in verses 9 and 10 that they can eat the fish uh, if it has fins and scales, but they cannot eat the fish uh, if there is no fin or scales. So we can eat salmon and tuna, but they were prohibited from eating uh, crabs, lobsters, oysters, etc., which did not have a visible fin or scales, even though they are from the sea. And in terms of birds, uh, again, uh, we are given a very long list, and it is anchored in verses 11 and 20, that they can eat uh, of all clean birds, uh, ye shall eat, but of all the clean fowls, uh, ye may eat. And everything else in between, verses 12 to 19, uh, is an example, or it's a list of birds or creeping things that they cannot eat. Okay, so when I, was, when I was reading the list, uh, I couldn't recognize many of the names. So looks like it's a pretty long list. And but the basic instruction is uh, they can eat uh, clean birds, uh, which are non-carnivorous, or they don't eat flesh such as chicken. But they cannot eat uh, carnivorous birds like eagles and vultures. So these would be birds that eat the flesh, or they eat the blood or they would eat uh, even the dead animals and dead fishes. And if that is the case, uh, they could be carrying uh, diseases uh, which would make it uh, unhealthy. So even for that reason, uh, they would be prohibited from eating uh, such birds. And in verse 19, they are told uh, they cannot eat uh, any creeping thing uh, that flyeth uh, is considered unclean. And when we get to Leviticus uh, chapter 11, 11, which is also a parallel uh, section uh, in terms of what they can eat and they cannot eat, 
uh, we see a longer uh, explanation for the creeping things. It says, all fall that creep going upon all four shall be an abomination unto you. Yet these may eat of every flying creeping thing that goeth upon all four, which have legs above their feet to leap withal upon the earth. Even these of them ye may eat the locust after his kind, and the bald locust after his kind, and the beetle after his kind, and the grasshopper after his kind, but all other flying creeping things which have four feet. Uh, shall be an abomination unto you. So here again, we see that uh, detailed instructions are given in terms of what they can eat and what they cannot eat in terms of the animals, in terms of the fishes, and also in terms of the birds. So that's from verse 12 through 19, the list that we have. And when we come to verse uh, 21, which is consistent with what we have read uh, in the previous uh, chapters, uh, they cannot eat of anything that dieth uh, of itself. So that connects with uh, a prohibition on eating anything uh, that has blood in it or eating anything before the blood is taken out, as we read in 1223. But as we continue with uh, verse 21, it says, uh, you can give it unto a stranger that is in thy gates, that he may eat it, or thou mayest sell it unto an alien. So that tells us that there's nothing wrong uh, with that uh, food or with that eating that, uh, except it is prohibited by God uh, for the Jewish people. And it also goes on to say that thou shall not see a kid uh, in his mother's milk, or in other words, uh, they cannot mix meat uh, and milk uh, at the same vessel or at the same time. So as we saw before, the diet uh, restrictions, uh, they could be for health or it could be for hygiene reasons, or it could be for religious reasons where God is setting a standard uh, to make them different or make them uh, separated from the various uh, rituals uh, that the pagans might be practicing. So in chapter 14, it is simply given to us as a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, we are not really told why we cannot do it or why we should do it. And sometimes uh, when we are reading the scriptures, uh, it doesn't tell us the reason, but it tells us what the Lord expects from us. And that should be enough uh, for believers uh, if they're reading the word and God is telling us to do certain things or not to do certain things. Uh, our first reaction is to simply obey. And after that, everything else comes uh, in terms of clarification, uh, in terms of discussion, and so on. So the first step is obedience uh, to the written word or the revealed uh, truth. And that is what brings blessings. And that is what Moses is trying to teach them uh, in giving all these instructions. So when we see the kosher food in our grocery stores, uh, it uh, it connects with what we read uh, in chapter 14. Uh, we know from kosher section, if you're in the uh, grocery store, that fruits and vegetables are okay. And we saw that in terms of animals, uh, they should have two qualities. Uh, they should have a split hoop and they should chew its cut. And if it's a fish item, uh, they should have both fish and scales. And if it's birds, they should be non-carnivorous. 
and most uh, insects or creeping things are prohibited. And we also see that meat and milk items uh, cannot mix or meat and cheese cannot mix. And anything that comes from an animal that is kosher or that is pure uh, is also kosher. So if eggs or milk are coming from an animal that is declared to be clean, then that item is also clean. And the Jewish people, they also will not mix the kosher and non-kosher items uh, in the same meal or in the same vessel as we saw earlier. Okay, so that brings us to the connection between the diet uh, and worship. So as we read in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19 and 20, uh, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, uh, which are God's. And of course, in the Old Testament, we don't see this verse, but when we come to the New Testament, uh, we have this understanding that our body itself uh, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be conscious uh, of what we are eating. Uh, we need to be conscious of the lifestyle that we are living. So our body itself, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, it can be abused, uh, it can be made unhealthy, uh, if we don't have good uh, eating habits, uh, if we don't uh, exercise, then our body is not healthy. Or if you're consuming items that are not good, like drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes, uh, that would obviously abuse our body. And even laziness, which would be a lifestyle, is also not good. And so again, the point is uh, our diet and our lifestyle also connects to worship since what we consume and the type of life that we live will also impact our health. It will impact our functional functioning of our body, uh, which itself is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we also read from Mark uh, chapter 7, 18 through 20, that more than uh, what we are eating, uh, it is the condition of our heart, uh, which is more important. So in Mark 7, 18 through 20, uh, we read uh, where Jesus is saying, he saith unto them, uh, are ye so without understanding also? Uh, do ye not perceive that whatsoever cometh from without entereth into the man, uh, it cannot defile him. So what is coming from the outside? Uh, it cannot defile us because it entereth not into our heart, but into the belly and goeth out into the drought, purging all meats. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. And if you read the subsequent verses, it tells us uh, all evil things that they come from within. And they are not coming because we consume meat or because we consume vegetables or whatever it is. So the Lord is emphasizing that the condition of our heart is more important than all the dietary items. And we know from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 10, where the Lord gives Peter a vision. And, and we see the vision of all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and falls of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. 
And the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God has cleansed, called out not uh, common or called out not unclean. So it is God who decides what is clean, what is unclean. And that was the principle uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, when God made a decision that certain animals, certain fishes, certain birds are clean. And in the same way in the New Testament, uh, it is the same uh, principle. In verses uh, 22 to 29, uh, we see a shift uh, in focus from body and health. Uh, it moves to the tithing, uh, which is also connected uh, to the worship experience, the offerings and the sacrifices that they brought to the tabernacle. Okay, so we saw this in chapter 12 also, where the worship experience was also connected to compassion. And here it is connected uh, in the context of tithing, where they are told that 10% uh, of the first fruits uh, from the harvest and the herds and the flock, uh, it should be brought uh, to the chosen place. Uh, the chosen place is where the tabernacle uh, is kept and where the Ark of the Covenant is kept. And it is a place where people would come to give their sacrifices, give their offerings. It will also be a place of corporate uh, worship. And we also see something that is practical. Uh, if someone is living too far away uh, from the tabernacle, then they don't have to carry uh, all of that, uh, all that distance. Uh, instead, uh, they can take that 10% and they can trade it uh, for money. And when they get to close to the tabernacle, they can use that money to buy what they want, uh, equivalent uh, to that. So that is the practical instruction that is given. But the 10% or whatever the tithe is, uh, that should be enjoyed uh, in the presence of the Lord uh, with others. So we saw that in chapter 12 also. Uh, there was a lot of uh, emphasis on coming uh, to the chosen place. There was a lot of emphasis on coming uh, to the presence of the Lord and enjoying the worship experience uh, with others. And the reasoning could be that they need to come uh, to the presence of the Lord rather than consuming it uh, in their own houses so that they can remember and they can recognize that God is the source of all the blessings that they are enjoying. So they might have had a rich harvest and if they don't come back to the tabernacle, or if they don't make it as part of their worship experience, they may begin to think that it is because of their hard work uh, or because of their good fortune or because of their good works that they are able to enjoy all these blessings. But the Lord is always bringing them back uh, to his presence uh, to remind them that he's the source of everything, the harvest, the flock, uh, even the rain, which is the water that came from heaven that we read before, and even the strength uh, to take care of the land and the animals. So that was an important part of the Jewish experience to celebrate with others with great rejoicing, but also to celebrate in the presence of the Lord in their worship experience. And we are also told that they should not neglect the Levites and others who are needy. So they are told to take care of the Levites uh, who are in the tabernacle or at Shiloh or even if they're not there, if they are distributed in the local towns, uh, they should be taken care of uh, since they don't have a land in which they can raise the crops or a land in which they can raise animals uh, for food. So obviously if they don't have access to crops and food, 
uh, they will die of hunger. So this was God's provision that the other tribes, uh, they will bring tithes, which will be shared with the Levites. And we are also sold that they should take care of the foreigners and also the widows and the fatherless. And one uh, assumption could be that uh, if you're a stranger in a land, uh, you may not have access uh, to many facilities, or in this case, even the land itself uh, to produce anything. And if you're a widow or if you're fatherless, maybe you don't have anyone in the house uh, to take care of the land and the animals. So again, we see that God is uh, very compassionate and he is emphasizing that when people come for worship, uh, they should also recognize those who are needy uh, in their midst. So we often read that faith uh, without works uh, is dead, but our worship, uh, if it doesn't have the component of love or compassion for others, will also be dead. And we read in Acts chapter 2, 44, 45, uh, where we read that all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold uh, property and possessions to give to anyone uh, who had need. So in the Old Testament, they were giving tithes, which was 10%, which was given to the Levites and the priests. But when we come to the New Testament, we see that uh, it is a community of believers uh, who are staying together. And it doesn't say 10%. Uh, it simply says they give to others uh, based on their need. So that could be 10%, it could be 20%, it could be more. So, so we need to tithe. Uh, as we read the scriptures, uh, the tithing is important uh, to sustain the work of the Lord. And as we read, it also sustains uh, his people. So in Numbers 18.21, it says, Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance. So their inheritance is not the land but it is the tithe that they are getting from the children of Israel. And the reason is also given. Uh, they're not getting it for simply sleeping, but for the service that they are providing uh, in the tabernacle, for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And you can read this section later on. Second Chronicles chapter 31, uh, 4 to 10, uh, also speaks of, along the same lines. Uh, as we read in verse 10, it says, uh, since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have left uh, plenty. So again, it shows that when we follow the instructions of the Lord, when we follow the directions that are given by the Lord, uh, there is plenty and God's work uh, continues uh, according to his plan. And again, in Proverbs 3.9, we are reminded to honor the Lord with our substance and with the first fruits of all our increase. So we see that tithing or offering or giving uh, is consistent uh, with the book of Deuteronomy. And it's also consistent with God's plan uh, to provide for the ministries, to expand the kingdom of God, uh, to provide for the ministers, to maintain the ministries and also to provide uh, for the members in need. So in the Old Testament, it was the Levites. Uh, in the New Testament, it could be any members who are in need of different things. In Luke 20, 25, which is a familiar verse, it says, render unto Caesars the things which be Caesars, and unto God the thing which be God's. And 
scripture also reminds us how we should give. Uh, we should. It, it's not just talking about tithing, but giving in general uh, should be done uh, generously for whom much is given, much is required, or much is expected. And we are told to give uh, cheerfully, for God loveth a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9.7. And we are also told that we should give uh, secretly and not uh, to display it to everyone. And the blessing of tithing or giving uh, that we learn from experience uh, is that it helps us to grow in our faith uh, as we learn to trust uh, in the Lord. So if we decide to obey God with 10% or whatever we decide, uh, it doesn't tell us it should be 10, it could be more or whatever is in our heart. And we are able to trust the Lord to bless the balance uh, that we have. But oftentimes we hesitate because we think that we don't have enough and we don't trust that God can bless the 90% uh, to meet the deficit or to uh, make up for the balance that we are giving to the Lord. Also the blessing uh, will bless others and it will also come back to us. And in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8, with uh, again a familiar verse which tells us, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now therewith, saith the Lord, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out the blessing. And Nehemiah 10.39, it says, we will not neglect the house of our God. So that's the challenge for us, that we should not neglect the work that God has given us uh, within the local church uh, with the gifts and the talents and the resources that the Lord has given us uh, in terms of time, talent, and treasure. Uh, we should not neglect God's calling in our life. So that's chapter 14. So we'll stop here. So we talked about uh, who we are in verses 1 and 2. And we talked about we should not cut ourselves or we should not shave uh, just to show that we are mourning for the dead. And we talked about what we can eat and what we cannot eat in terms of animals, the birds, and fishes. And we also saw that the tithes uh, should be brought back uh, to the chosen place, and it should be a time of rejoicing before the Lord. And we should also take care of the Levites and the needy who are in our midst. And the connection between diet and worship is that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we should be careful what we are eating. We should also be careful what type of lifestyle that we are living. Uh, in this world.